0: A Saigon apple beer. No, what are you talking about? What's that? What? You don't know? They taste so good. There's chili, ginger, and this one's apple. I'm trying to speak more Vietnamese. Try this fermented apple juice.
1: You're not speaking Vietnamese, you're speaking English. Show me what you're drinking.
0: Here. Ugh,
1: Saigon cider.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Fermented apple juice. <laughs> Thanks for listening to 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. If you're based in Vietnam, you know how much of a problem it can be to find entertainment in English here and meet other like-minded people. 7 Million Bikes not only hosts a Vietnam podcast, but also stand-up comedy shows, quiz nights and events, so you can have fun, connect with others and share experiences of Vietnam. You can become a member of the 7 Million Bikes community and you can get free tickets to comedy shows, that includes a beer. That'll be when we're back open, of course, or free entry to our online quiz nights that are every Tuesday. You will also get access to episodes a day early of a Vietnam podcast, credit at the end of each episode on YouTube and on the podcast, and invites to special 7 Million Bikes member events. We're definitely going to be throwing a massive party when this is all over in Saigon and we can finally see each other again. Membership starts from only 92,000 dong per month, that's only $4.00. And if you join the community before the end of September and you live in Vietnam, we'll send you a free 7 Million Bikes face mask. The link is in the show description. 7 Million Bikes. Discover. Laugh. Connect. This podcast is from March 18th, earlier this year with Nhi Mai, host of the Now On Nhi YouTube channel and Swiss VQ exploring her Vietnamese roots. Thank you very much to Nhi for coming on the show and sharing her story. This is also an extra special release, as this podcast will take us past 20,000 downloads. You have helped 7 million bikes be listed by listen notes as in the top 10% of podcasts worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. We've already started recording season 7, so enjoy this episode with Nhi Mai and look out for new episodes very soon. Stay safe wherever you are in the world right now, especially to those in Saigon and around Vietnam under lockdown. Thank you for listening to 7 Million Bites, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil McKay, and I'm your host. In this episode, I'm talking with Ni Mai who's a Swiss-Vietnamese girl who moved to Saigon just over two years ago, and we talk in detail about why she moved to Saigon, what the reaction was from her parents and from local people, and we also talk about her YouTube channel, Now on Nhi. Remember, wherever you are listening from, if it's Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, any one of these apps, make sure that you follow, subscribe, whatever button it is, so that you can get updates for every single Vietnam podcast episode and turn on the notifications so you know when there's a new episode. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Keep up to date on all the things that 7 Million Bikes are up to. And you can also check out our brand new website, 7millionbikes.com. You can go to the events tab there and you'll see all the 7 Million Bikes events that are happening. We've got comedy shows going on all over. And very, very shortly, we're about to announce some exciting new shows. We're going to be going performing in Da Nang, Hoi An and Wei regularly as well. So look out for that on the website too. I want to take this opportunity to say a special thanks to Fuzzy Logic Brewing Company. Fuzzy Logic has been sponsoring 7 Million Bikes events now for over a year, and the first ever 7 Million Bikes comedy show was at the Hop Shop. These guys are amazing. Make sure you check them out on Facebook. Try their beers if you can. I'm not just saying this. They are one of my favorite beers in Saigon. One of my favorite ones at the moment, if you haven't tried it, look out for their Double IPA. It's really complex. It's a massive bunch of hops in there. Eight different hops, actually. Five different malts. But... It's only good in moderation because it's so strong. If you do enjoy this content, please support 7 Million Bikes. You can become a member. Just check out the show notes. There's links there for our Patreon website where you can become a member of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast, and get different member benefits like free tickets to shows. You get exclusive content as well. You can get the podcast a day earlier than anyone else. Or you can also buy me a coffee. Just check out the notes again, coffee.com, and you can send me a coffee this way as well. If anyone knows me, I'm a massive coffee lover, so that would be... Very much appreciated. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Alright, welcome to episode 9 of season 5, 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My guest today is all the way from Switzerland, the second Swiss guest on the show this season. Who would have thought? She's a Viet Q and she moved to Saigon two years ago. And now has a YouTube channel called Now All Nie. My guest today is Ni Mai. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for your invitation.
0: You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So you are the second Swiss guest on this show. I don't think I've ever met two Swiss people in my life. Never mind two in the space of a few months.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm very excited and I'm very surprised that I'm the second Swiss person on your podcast. Um, For me personally, I never meet any Swiss in Vietnam. That's very rare.
0: That's not true because I saw one of your YouTube videos and you did meet a Swiss person, right?
1: One, one Swiss girl.
0: So how did you meet her? Because you both speak French, German,
1: was it? German, yes. Yeah. So there is a Swiss business association in Vietnam Um, They are based in Saigon, and sometimes they do events. And uh, that's how I met her, at one of those events.
0: Was it just you two? You were the only people?
1: (laughs) Of course not. What I was trying to say is um, there are Swiss people, obviously, um, but not in my age or, you know, someone that I could hang out with and go out with. So I was really happy to find a a friend, a Swiss friend to speak Swiss German with.
0: And you speak five languages?
1: I do, but not all of them super fluently.
0: I barely speak English fluently, and that's my only language. So five languages, even if you speak them a little bit, it's impressive. So what language did you speak growing up?
1: So I grew up in Switzerland, in Zurich, which is the German part of Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland has four languages officially, and it depends on where you are living and where you grow up, you uh, just learn the language that is in that region. So I learned German growing up. Swiss German is actually not an official language. It's a dialect. So there is not really like rules and grammars to it. You just, it's like a spoken language, I would say. So, and I would consider Swiss German as my mother tongue. It's the language where I can express myself the best. After that, I would say German and then English. And at home, I would speak Vietnamese and it, and it improved a lot since I came to Vietnam because I'm using it every day. And French I learned at school because um, it's one of the languages of Switzerland and uh, yeah, it's like. It's a mandatory language you have to learn. What
0: language do you think in?
1: I would say it's a mix between English and Swiss German right now.
0: Because that fascinates me, and I've had this conversation with friends before, because I'm, like I said, I'm monolingual, and at best maybe some people would say I can barely speak that language. So I always find it fascinating if you're multilingual, like what what do you think in, right? And I had this conversation recently with someone, um, they were French, Vietnamese, and... They could speak French, Vietnamese and English and then they were telling me one of their friends was similar but they weren't fluent in any of those languages. So they could speak three languages but not well and that blew my mind that somebody, so they had no language that they were fluent in.
1: Right. I think that happens to me sometimes, you know, when you're looking for a word in a certain language but you know it in the other language but you're like trying to find it in that language. So sometimes it is like a mix.
0: Well, that's what they call like Spanglish, right? Yeah, is like something a mixture, like that. yeah. and that's what my friend was saying was exactly right. what you said. Her and her friend can speak Vietnamese, French, and English, and sometimes when they're talking, they will use all three languages in one conversation because it's just they just find whichever word is they think of the fastest, I guess. And if you can each understand each other, then it works fine, right? Right. But that that completely fascinates me as someone who can only speak one language. So is Switzerland as beautiful as everyone imagines? Are there cuckoo clocks on every corner? Are there chocolate fountains on every street? Uh, and there's every, does everybody work in banking and do international money laundering? What is Switzerland really like?
1: Switzerland is a very beautiful country and um, you just listed all the stereotypes. stereotypes. <laughs> And I think a lot of it is very true. If you think about Switzerland, you think about mountains and chocolate and cows and whatnot. We do have all of that, but we also have a a very different side. The non-touristic side, we have a very like urban community.
0: So Uh, does Switzerland have like a punk rock scene?
1: We do. You
0: do? See, this is the thing where you have these stereotypes, you're saying cows, mountains, chocolate. I would just never imagine a Swiss punk rock band, but that exists.
1: That exists. And is it good? It is good. We actually have a quite big scene in music and entertainment, even though we're like this tiny little country, but it exists. And, um, I mean, you, you you just said about all these bankers and, and, you know, all these stereotypes, which is also true. You will definitely find it in Switzerland.
0: The, the thing with stereotypes is that they are largely true to whatever country you talk about. Although many people think in Scotland that all we do is wear kilts. And I've had it before. that my Vietnamese friends say, oh, you all wear skirts in Scotland, don't you? I'm like, no, we don't wear skirts. We wear kilts and we wear them at weddings and that's it. But we do drink a lot of whiskey, so that stereotype is true as well.
1: I just wanted to add something to Switzerland, which is... Um, Switzerland is very multicultural. We don't only have Swiss people, but we have a lot, a lot of nationalities in Switzerland. So growing up, I, I was the only Asian, but I had Italian friends, Albanian friends, um, Spanish friends, Polish friends. It's very diverse.
0: And I guess that would be surprising, right? Because you just think of, I guess, the white European Swiss person. So your parents were from Saigon originally, how did they end up in Switzerland?
1: So my parents, they met in Germany. But how did they get there? So my dad was a refugee. He uh, fled by boat to Malaysia and eventually ended up in Switzerland um, with two of his brothers. The rest of his family um, is in the US right now. So that's his story. My mom is from a very big family. She was the only child, though, to go abroad. She had the opportunity in Germany as a guest worker in the 80s. I don't know if you know um, what happened in the 80s. In Germany, there was still the DDR. So it's um, the time before... They reunited and um, in that time, Germany um, brought a lot of Vietnamese people to Germany to work kind of um, for as cheap labor. And that's why there are lots of Vietnamese in Germany today. I
0: didn't even know that. Oh, OK. Interesting. Now, does your dad, does he tell you much or has he told you much about his story or does he keep it private?
1: In my case, my parents didn't talk a lot about their journey to Europe. But I, as I spoke with some fellow Vietcuse, I can see similarities with their parents not wanting to, not wanting their kids to know the story. So I think it's very um, hard for them to open up about what happened. But I did my research. I mean, you can find information on YouTube and um, Google it. There's lots of podcasts as well about boat people, so you can get an idea.
0: Well, I've just come across a podcast recently, maybe is is that the one you're referencing? It's called The Vietnamese Boat People. It's in English and it's been going for quite a while. I I haven't started it yet, but um, I want to and I've read some books and it's obviously they went through really, really harrowing time so I can imagine that's maybe why he wouldn't want to talk about it and the reason I asked that question is because I've had this conversation before with someone who was on the, the show and yeah he said his dad had never really mentioned much about the war and the only things he knew about it was from hearing his dad talk to his friends about it like over beers, and he'd pick up little bits but his dad had never actually told him anything.
1: Right I think a lot of uh, VQ um, kids like me experienced the same um, but you mentioned the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. Yes, that's the one I also know. And I also listened to a German one. Um, it's called Rise and Shine. And they focus on uh, Vietnamese people living in Germany and their history.
0: Cool. Well, this season has been a, a bit, it's been a really good eye-opener for me. Like I interviewed Nhi Corkern who is part of the Overseas Vietnam group and one thing she said to me, which I kind of has stuck with me, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, about how Vietnamese people have left in three waves. So there was the refugees after the, the war, and then there was an economic uh, wave. And I don't know if that's part of that tied to the 80s, but people going looking for work in, in the US and around the world. And then now we have the third wave is the student. Wave where we have there's so many now overseas Vietnamese students, and this podcast has largely been up until this season focused on on Vietnam. It was what well, used to be called a Saigon podcast, and in this season we changed to a Vietnam podcast and tried to broaden our range or try to broaden our audience and our guests. And so I, part of that which was has been surprising and wasn't planned was then talking to people like me Corker and, and like yourself, and then learning, not learning, but then realizing. Yeah, there's 90 million people in Vietnam, but there's also, I don't know the numbers, but millions and millions of either first, second or third generation Vietnamese overseas. And you, you've you called yourself, you say that you're a VQ. And I know from my time here that that can have many different meanings and can even be controversial. So what does that mean to you to be a VQ?
1: I had this discussion before and I've seen it also on Facebook groups. And just online in general, discussing and arguing about what the definition of a VQ is. Um, I also did my research, but I didn't really come to a conclusion. So how I understand it is um, people who uh, left the country and basically have a life abroad and their kids are also considered as VQ. That's why I consider myself as a VHQ. Um, But there are some people who, as you said, like students going abroad and um, study for years and maybe stay there for a couple of more years and come back and consider themselves as VQ. So I don't really know the answer to this question. Um, I wish there would be like a, a clear definition of, of what a VQ is.
0: And this season we had as well Chris Nguyen um, and I'd never heard the phrase before until he told me the third culture kid. So would you, have you ever applied that to yourself? Would that would that apply to you? Are you a th- You're a third culture kid as well, right?
1: I would say so, yes.
0: So what has been the reaction then to you coming to Saigon, Vietnam and not being from here originally, coming back to the motherland? What's been the reaction to you?
1: Oh, I experienced a lot of, different reactions, um, because I'm in between two worlds. So first of all, I had to tell my parents about it, that I wanted to move to Vietnam. Um, for them, it was not really easy. And maybe in the beginning, um, they didn't really understand like what and why, uh, I was doing this for, because they gave up, uh, so much and they, went through so much to have a new life uh, in a new place um, and I had a I still have a good life um, education and everything but then still something in me was so curious to know and to see like what Vietnam was like how it is to live here the other reaction is obviously like the Vietnamese side. Um, when I came here I, and I started to work here and make friends here, lots of people, lots of Vietnamese people would tell me, but we don't understand. Like, why would you leave Switzerland to come to Vietnam to live? Like, why would you do that? And that they also wouldn't, under, like, they wouldn't understand either. That's so
0: interesting. And I don't know if I've thought about it like that your mom and dad went through so much to give you this life in Europe, which is for a lot of people in Vietnam is the dream. It's like that, that's, you know, get to the US or Europe or whatnot. Not for everyone, but for some people, your parents achieved that. And then you turn around and say, well, I'm going to go back.
1: Yes. And I know that my mom worried a lot in the beginning, I remember, but with time and also with me sharing everything I'm doing here, my experiences, uh, how much Vietnam has changed, how cool life in Saigon is. I think now she understands like what um, really draw me here. Mm.
0: Have they ever been back?
1: They have been back and they have been back with me as well, but mainly to visit family And my family is a bit outside of Saigon. So I never really had the chance to explore the big city. So that was, yeah, I think this is, when I came here myself, this was the first time I really experienced Saigon, um, as I know now.
0: Did you come when you were younger, like a young child?
1: I did, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So Saigon would be very different then anyway to what it is now. But you mentioned you were the only Asian where you were growing up in Zurich. And then we just talked about being a VQ and a third culture kid. And then wanting to come back, did growing up, or maybe when you started to get older, did you have this like kind of yearning, or this like, you know, I wanna go and find out my roots. Cause that's something to me again, I'm just from Glasgow and I've lived there my whole life. So I don't know that feeling of being like, like I'm not from here. Like, I don't mean like you're obviously from there cause that's where you were brought up. But do you, I don't know like that. Is that the feeling that you have? Like, I want to go and explore where my background is from?
1: Yes, but that feeling came later. Um, As a kid, I didn't grow up in the city of Zurich. I grew up uh, in a small village near Zurich.
0: With lots of cows.
1: We had horses, (laughs) but no cows. (laughs) So I was, yeah, I was actually the only Asian in my class. And I think even in my school. Uh, Until my uh, little sister uh, went to school. Then we were two of us. But I remember growing up, I wanted to fit in. I knew I looked different. Mm, With time, I started to accept it. And I realized that that that's what made me interesting. People would ask me questions like where I'm from and how, you know... mm, how my parents came here. So I think um, I was kind of interesting for Swiss people. Um, Yeah, how can I say? Like, when I was in school, I tried to hide my Vietnamese roots. When I became a teenager um, and in my early 20s, I really embraced that I was different and Vietnamese. And uh, that's when it started to, I started to travel and um, yeah, and it just led me to Saigon one day and um, I thought, okay, I, I really want to know how life is here.
0: So what does that mean though? You said you hid your Vietnamese roots. So how, what did that mean in reality? How did you hide it? And then you said you embraced it. So then how did you embrace it? What did that mean in reality?
1: I, mm, I think hiding is not the correct term. It was more, I wanted to be more Swiss. So when you would hear me talking Swiss German, I sound like a Swiss if you would not see me. And also I remember one time my mom packed a snack for me for school and she gave me a banh as a snack. And I, brought it to school and I ate it and my friends were like what is this is this a brain <laughs> so it's like oh my god like mom I don't want to bring Banbao bao to school anymore so these kind of things mm. like I, I didn't want to have any weird reactions um yeah I think it
0: makes sense yeah it's so sad but I mean it's just it's also just kids I mean when I grew up, one of the guys in my school, he, he was always a wee bit strange, I guess. He would bring a blood orange to school for his snack. Now He was just like a, a white ginger kid, but just bringing a blood orange was different and weird. And he was already a bit weird, so he'd get teased for, like, why you got a blood orange? Why have you not just got an orange or an apple? What? Why is it going to be this weird red one? So, like, kids are going to... They're gonna laugh at you for anything different, right? But it's it, it makes me that's kind of sad. You want I can understand then being a a teenager or what what not trying to fit in, and you're like I don't want to bring this Vietnamese band out, you know?
1: Yes, exactly. And also, um, yeah, that's just one example. There's lots of of things like that where I just didn't want to. There is actually a Vietnamese community in Switzerland. They have like events every month, and I would go there. But it was usually like weekends on a Saturday and it's like entertainment and food. So um, I really like to go there. But sometimes I wouldn't tell my Swiss friends where I was going. I was just like, "Uh, I have plans with my parents and I didn't really tell them like what I was doing because I was kind of embarrassed to say. But then later on, um, when I moved To the city of Zurich and I met more international friends I thought oh okay it's very diverse so maybe you know it's it's actually nice to be a bit exotic and different.
0: That word you used I've heard from other people that that can be really um, jarring to be called exotic no matter whether you're Latina or Wherever not white, basically, right? Yeah. And and if some but someone and it's normally maybe a white guy can use it, trying to be complimentary, almost like oh you're so exotic, but it doesn't. So but you used it in your own to describe yourself. So how do you perceive that word? If someone was, if someone else was to call you that, what would you think?
1: I don't think any bad about it. Um, I don't think it's insulting. I call myself exotic. Exotic for me is like being different and being yeah, it's true that it's like mostly used for darker skin women. No, not women, like no, actually I don't feel offended if someone calls me exotic because exotic for me is not a bad word in in that sense and there is exotic food there are exotic countries and there can also be exotic women so i don't mind
0: no i like that it's almost just like describing adolescence right you you get to your awkward teenage years and you just want to fit in and then you start to become more comfortable in your own skin and you like embrace who you are and what you are so so i like that so what you, did you go to university
1: i did i actually i started to study Business management in like an economics um, university, but I didn't like it. I you know, like in Switzerland, as you said, like lots of bankers and everyone is working in in, in a bank or for an insurance company and whatnot. It's true like that. It's true. I don't know the percentage, but a lot of my friends would just study economics. And so that's what I did. I studied economics. And I and actually, I worked for a bank for seven years.
0: Such a stereotypical Swiss.
1: Yes, because that's what everyone else was doing. And I didn't know what I wanted back then, because in Switzerland, uh, if you... Like, the, the education system in Switzerland is a bit different. So um, when you're 15, you can either do an apprenticeship or you... Um, go to school and then go to university. But if you do the apprenticeship, it doesn't mean like you cannot go to university. My apprenticeship I did uh, in a bank and I just did it because I didn't know what I wanted to do with 15. I started to study economics, but after two years I thought, mm, that's not really what I wanted. It's, it's too boring. <laughs> And I always had a passion for fashion. (laughs) And I thought, okay, so what what can I do? How is there a fashion scene in Switzerland? Can you live from fashion in Switzerland? I I didn't know, so I did my research and I ended up uh, studying textile business, which uh, exists in Switzerland.
0: (laughs) Being from Switzerland, have you ever shot a gun?
1: Never in my life.
0: What? Is this really common in Switzerland, right?
1: No, not at
0: all. What it is, I saw it recently. Shot a gun. Shot a gun. No. Yeah, because it's um, America people in America use Switzerland as an example of like gun ownership. Like Switzerland Mm -hmm. has a huge, a high percentage of gun ownership, but like really low deaths from like nobody dies from gunshots in Switzerland. And recently it was Jordan Klepper did a whole... I don't know if it was Jordan Klepper, but it was The Daily Show. The guy went to Switzerland and he went to like a gun party in a field. Like everyone's drinking beer and there's guns. But it's like so safe because they have proper gun training and it's not America basically.
1: Oh, I see. I know where you're coming from. So (laughs) me, myself, I've never shot with a gun. I never had a gun in my hand. But uh, as you know, we have Swiss military. Yeah. So, and the people doing the military, they carry a gun. They carry the gun home when they are done with their service, and they and they carry the gun from home to the military. So, um, it's very normal to see a guy with a gun on a train, like not like a, a gun, like I don't know how to call these guns, but like this.
0: Yeah, like an AK forty seven or A rifle.
1: Probably, yeah. And then you, you carry it like this over your like a, As cross a podcast, body. they
0: can't see what you're doing right now.
1: Crossbody. <laughs> <laughs> and it's normal. Yeah, right. Because because people know that they're going to the military mm. or they just left to go home.
0: See, I listed all the stereotypes of Switzerland in the beginning, but people wouldn't think true you're just gonna see people with guns on a train like if you were anywhere else in the world I think you'd be like what is going on why true I never thought about it no yeah go on I'm pretty sure it's the daily show and the guy goes over to Switzerland and does a whole report and it's obviously comedic but um just how the Swiss are so carefree with guns they're like drinking beer there's guns on the table and stuff but I
1: I I don't know about that. I don't know about any gun parties. I'll
0: find the video and I will show you <laughs> later on.
1: Yes, but for sure, like military guns uh, are normal.
0: So you persuaded your mom and daddy were going to move to Vietnam. What happened next? When, how did you get to Vietnam?
1: It's actually a funny story because I never ever planned on living in Vietnam, I was traveling. Southeast Asia. I was backpacking on my own. I started in Thailand and I just wanted to see Southeast Asia and um, obviously I wanted to visit Saigon because my family is here. I wanted to say hi and I wanted to explore the city a bit more because uh, as I said, as a kid, I didn't really have the chance because I was always at my aunt's place, my grandma's place. So Yeah, that's how it started. And while I was here as a tourist, I just had the feeling I needed to stay here for a bit longer.
0: And what was that feeling? What made you have that feeling?
1: I felt like I didn't know much about this place. I want to know how everyday life is here. I mean, of course, I grew up with Vietnamese dishes in a Vietnamese household. Um, I do speak Vietnamese, but it's just not the same as if you could experience it here.
0: How does your mom's cooking compare to the food here?
1: Oh, her her cooking is really, really good. And I think lots of Viet kids would say that their mom's food is really, really good because you don't get Vietnamese food like in Switzerland there is no street food there is no <laughs> uh vietnamese restaurants are coming more and more but when i grew up there was no so vietnamese people had to cook their own food um yeah but obviously they did it. but obviously the option here is a lot bigger
0: and how is your vietnamese
1: i would say it's quite good i can have um in-depth conversations, but when it comes to business and maybe negotiating, I wouldn't have the vocabulary.
0: Did you think your Vietnamese was better than it was? Were you you in for a shock when you arrived?
1: Definitely, yes. So when I first arrived, I, I was speaking Vietnamese already, but it was not fluent. I had to look for the word somewhere in my head, stored somewhere. Um, but now it's it's more fluent. The
0: reason I ask, and I'm, I think I'm... The reason I ask, and I've definitely told this before, and I've told this on stage as well, one of our friends, Mai, who is, is Australian VQ, and she was over here studying for her CELTA, the same as us, that's how we met. And she was telling us a story that when she had first arrived in Vietnam, and she was in a taxi with it, and she talked to the taxi driver in Vietnamese, and, and he said to her, in Vietnamese, he's like, oh, your, your Vietnamese is so good she's like oh yeah well you know my, my mom and dad are Vietnamese and he was like oh, your Vietnamese is shit
1: that's funny yes that's really funny because I there are a lot of Vietcues in Saigon actually and in Vietnam in general and whenever I go out with my Vietcue friends we speak English we don't speak Vietnamese which is maybe we should change that but sometimes Like, in my case, sometimes people recognize that I'm not Vietnamese, not native, and some people, they don't. I don't know how it is for other Vietkiews, but for myself, I don't really want to, I don't really want them to know that I'm a Vietkiew. Because as soon as they know I'm not a local, they start asking many, many questions.
0: Like, go on.
1: Like... Oh, where are you from? What made you come here? What is your job? Where do you live? Where is your family? How much do you own? Like all these kind of questions, because it makes me apparently more interesting.
0: Well, you, they surely must ask you: uh, Are you married? Do you have a baby? How much money do you earn? I've I've not been at, well. I get the money. I get asked often about married and baby. I've never had been asked how much money I earn, but I've heard that's quite a common. Yes. question which in the where I'm from like even your fr- best friends you don't talk about that for some reason I don't know why but we don't whereas here it's like
1: exactly I also had to get used to it and I try to avoid this kind of situation so that's why I and I try to hide my vid queue um in yeah so I have questions like marriage babies money it's very common. It's normal here.
0: And that, I'm kind of following up from something I asked earlier, and then we started talking about something else. And I said, "How? what's been the reaction then to you coming here? So I guess, like, that that would be the part of that answer, you know. And um, it's, almost, it's almost sad, in a way, you've come here because you want to, like, explore your roots, come back to the motherland, but then you've just said at the same time you almost hide that you're VAQ.
1: Yes, true. I just hide it to not get these kind of awkward questions because honestly, I sometimes I don't know how I should answer. I don't want to be rude, but then I don't want to reveal everything.
0: So how does it feel now that you've been here for two years and you had that, you wanted to come back and and reconnect with Vietnam, which I still find really interesting that your parents would kind of be like, why do you want to do that? And then what you said as well, when you said then Vietnamese people are also maybe saying, why would you come here? So how is that now played out? I
1: think for the part, like, I think for my parents and my friends also in Switzerland, they accepted it. They, now they understand, okay, like, she has a life in Vietnam now. Um, And they're very supportive. In the beginning, they were, of course, a bit like confused and didn't really understand like why I would do that. For Vietnamese people, I think it's still very surprising if they hear, oh, I'm Swiss. For my friends, Vietnamese friends and my co-workers, they, they just know and they're okay with it. And um, yeah, it's also interest. It's also kind of um, exciting for them to work with the Vietcube because I'm the only one.
0: So when you did arrive in Saigon, was it everything you hoped it was going to be? Was it what was surprising? What was different? What was difficult? What was the reality versus what you expected?
1: It was nothing like I expected. <laughs> um, I had some really, really positive experiences, but also like some things where I had to adapt myself. Um As I said, obviously I know Vietnamese culture a bit and I do speak the language a bit, which made it easier for me. But then again, uh, there was so much more I had to learn. Um, I think I needed about six months or more to really feel home. But as I am, I'm always pushing myself um, to my limits and outside of comfort zone So I really wanted to make it work and also prove myself, girl, you can do it. (laughs) So, first of all, was the traffic. I had to get used to the traffic. You were
0: expecting that?
1: I expected it, but eventually I had to drive the bike myself because I think living in Saigon, you kind of have to do it.
0: When I first arrived, I was not getting on a bike. I was like, there's no way, I'm, this is insane. And I'd driven like a scooter before, like I knew I knew how to drive a, like a small motorbike, not like a big one, but I knew how to do it. And I was like, no way. We're getting taxis everywhere. I'm not getting on the back of a Zeon because it wasn't even grab when we first arrived. So I was like, done. And it took me, I think about three months to eventually even try it. And then once I did it, it's like, oh yeah, you got hang of it really, really quickly took my wife two years, maybe she'll correct me on this one year, two years. One of the worst things about, my wife is my biggest fan and she listens to every episode, which the worst thing is then she corrects me afterwards. So like just today she texted me, she's like, it wasn't an enchilada, it it was a quesadilla. So it took my wife, I think, about two years to get on a bike. But now, and then she's now scoots all over the city as well. So I totally get that feeling.
1: Yeah, so it was the traffic and then also the weather. It was so hot. I had to get used to that. And there is a rainy season. I never experienced rainy season. What is that? And I had to adapt my style, my clothing style, because I I'm very into fashion. I like to dress myself, and you know, the environment between Zurich and Saigon is very different. So I had some difficulties to, to really find clothes that I would feel comfortable in. Even though I do speak the language, I have some difficulties because let's say if I want to order something in a restaurant or I line up somewhere and someone cuts the line or, you know, like these kind of things, everything is a bit, takes a bit longer. You need to know how to uh, handle certain situations. So, uh, or yeah, even at the gas station, like things, small things like that, you just, um, you just learn and then...
0: I'm coming up five years now here which, and we've been met some people recently and when we say that, it just it blows our mind that we've been here nearly five years. We met a couple last night and they've been here a year and a half and it's mind-blowing that they've only been here such a short time and we've been here so long. But what you're saying right now, it reminds me of like all these things in the beginning because a lot of people I get asked often, just last night I got asked again as well, so do you love it here? Or, I'm like, yeah. But it's challenging, and in the beginning, uh, I didn't. First year, I hated it. First year, I wanted to go. I couldn't wait to leave Vietnam. It was too much for all the things you're talking about, like the traffic, cutting in line, the things you just can't explain that are just mind-blowing. And now, being here five years, so much of that, like, I, you've just said it, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about all of that stuff, because I just don't really think about it that much, because I guess now you just get used to it. Like you are saying, it took six months. It took me a year. It is crazy. There's so many things that are so different in Vietnam. And it's just recently I've reminded myself, oh, yeah, it's really different here. I'm from Scotland, lived around the world. You're from Switzerland. You come to Vietnam, it's like, this is mental, right? Even like lately, I've been driving a bit more. And because with Tet and things like that, I haven't really been on the road much. Oh, my God, it's driving me crazy now. So this is three incidents that's happened in the last week, right? The first one, a bus, like a minibus, like a coach, stopped in the middle of four lanes of traffic before the Saigon Bridge. So as all the traffic's merging to get on the Saigon Bridge, he stopped, a guy runs across the four lanes of traffic, jumps on the bus, and the bus takes off. You imagine being in Switzerland and you saw a minibus stop in the middle of a highway to pick someone up? Then the week before that, same bridge, But on the other side of the bridge, another bus stopped to let someone off. As the bridge finishes, all the traffic's coming off the bridge. He stops, the guy jumps, gets off, jumps off across the road. Today, on the way here for this guy in front of me on his mobile phone. Now people use their phones a lot here and it does my head in. Mostly people just quickly look, put it in their pocket. This guy was like on his phone and driving at the same time just staring at his phone. I was like, what are you, how are you doing this right now? You're in the massive traffic and you're just staring at your phone I could go on again. get get worked up when I talk about traffic but you know what I mean
1: yes absolutely and I couldn't agree more I mean you eventually just get used to it um, and you completely forget that once in the beginning you had to deal with it uh, the same with noise I feel like I'm noise resistant right now like all the honking and all the traffic and the yelling in the street. I don't hear it anymore. Uh, I
0: don't hear it anymore either, but that's because I moved to D2.
1: Okay, good for you. Because
0: it drove me crazy. And I was talking about this, I think and with Nam Den on the episode, like um, I, the noise drives me crazy. I'm really sensitive to noise. I need peace and quiet to sleep. I just need peace and quiet in my life. I cannot deal with like noise. So I make a joke on stage lately, which has been going down really well. A couple of years ago, I decided to leave Vietnam. I was finished, I'm done. So I left Vietnam and I moved to Tao Ha, huh.
1: that's a funny one, yes.
0: <laughs> and it's true. So where I live now is quiet, it's peaceful. There's no Bop Sao Day guy going by my window. There's no funeral processions in the morning. There's no karaoke on the street at 1am. There's no building works going on. I've lived in apartments where at 6am there's a the drilling, the banging. One a.m. in the morning, they're still building the tower behind when it's meant to be stopped at, like, what, 10 o'clock, I think, There's the noise is meant to stop. Just on the in the news last week, did you see there's been a new director from, like, the chairman of the Ho Chi Minh City Committee saying that they need to start shutting down the karaoke machines? So we used to live in District 4, and if you go on Vincan Street there, like, the, the seafood street, the snail street... So what... I don't know if you've been there, you should go if you haven't. Guys come along on a bike with a big speaker on the back of the bike and a microphone... And they just park up outside the restaurant and sing, and maybe give someone the mic, and it—the volume is insane. So apparently, they're going to start shutting them down.
1: Yeah, I can see. Um, and what what I I think what I want to, uh, I think what I want to say is, even me as a Viet who knows the culture a little bit, you still have to get used to it. You cannot prepare for Vietnam. You just come here and then you just adapt. Yeah if you can
0: (laughs) and some people can i remember a couple years ago we were in a bar talking with some friends and he told us a story i forgot about this he told us a story how a friend showed up the two of them were meeting in vietnam and they were going to teach english together and the friend lasted four days and left
1: i see some people for some people vietnam is too much if you're looking for you know so Vietnam is a place where it's loud. It's There's always something happening, always, because it's so dynamic. Um, buildings are growing out of the grounds. Um, you, you cannot prepare yourself for Vietnam so much. You, you just have to live it? You just have to live it and uh, eventually get used to it.
0: But we're making the common mistake right now and I've realised that I've done this for years and I'm still doing it right now and I'm letting you do it, so I have to make a correction. It's not Vietnam, it's Saigon. It's not the same, it's just because I live in Saigon, so I keep, I, and you're saying it as well, like Vietnam is this. You drive half an hour out of Saigon, it's quiet as and it's peaceful and there's rice fields and it's beautiful, you go anywhere else in the Mekong Delta, even Hanoi, I guess. I've not really. Li- I've never lived in Hanoi, I've been there. but. I think I do it all the time, and obviously you've just Mm -hmm. exemplified. Other people are guilty of it as well, of saying Vietnam is this, Vietnam. It's not Vietnam. It's Saigon. It's
1: Saigon, yes. Yes, definitely.
0: It's Saigon that's loud, crazy, busy, noisy, dirty, all of these things. But I think we all make the mistake of going, oh, yeah, it's Vietnam. And it's like, no, it's not at all. You're right.
1: You're right. Yeah, Saigon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a crazy place, but anyway. But it's also why we love it, right? That's true. You know, like we—I'm just saying—I've been here five years. You've been here two years. There's something that keeps us here, despite all of that stuff.
1: Yes, because if I would compare it to Switzerland, hmm. there are still things that I like about this place that you—that I could not do in Switzerland, and um, not not do, but like the lifestyle here is more relaxed. I would say you enjoy life a lot more than you would back home, for me at least.
0: So I completely agree and to put a comparison, so my wife and I lived in New Zealand before here, that's home for us, that's where we we go back to And, and we missed it so much for the longest time and we still miss it but now as we've been here so long and it's becoming longer and longer and we've no plans to leave anytime soon... Now we start to look at New Zealand differently, where where you used to look at it like a like an ex partner and you lovingly think of all the good things about it, you know, you're like, oh, it's so amazing, this, that. And now we're kind of going a little bit to the other side, and you're like, well, yeah, you know, what I mean? the thing in New Zealand, so different to you're saying it's more relaxed here. New Zealand was almost too relaxed. So everything closed at five o'clock or six o'clock. There's nothing to do at night. It's really sleepy. Loads of different things. So we're now starting to be like, oh yeah, but there's a few negatives about being there as well. And then you start to think of all the positives of, of being here too. So tell me about your YouTube channel. We haven't even got to that yet. So you started a YouTube channel pretty recently called Now on Me. Or is it Now on Me? Because, you know, how do you say your name?
1: Exactly. I started my YouTube channel beginning of 2021, which is quite new. Um, I call it Now or knee. Why? Because it's actually a word game. Um, me. That's how my friends in Switzerland would call me because they couldn't say nie So, and nie means never in German. So it's uh, ah, now go. or never.
0: Ah. So not only are you the second Swiss person on the show this season, you're both called nie. but you both say your own name wrong. And then if you heard the episode with Chris, did you hear that he said his own name wrong for like the first 25 years of his life?
1: Yes, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Z- Z-
0: Nguyen. No, was ah, Nguyen. Nguyen,
1: the last name.
0: Nguyen. I thought Nguyen. that was, that made me laugh so much. Mm. So tell us about now or neither. That makes more sense, now or never, right? So, so that's an inside joke for Germans.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I started my YouTube channel beginning of 2021, which is very recent. I thought about documenting and just showing my life here, how it is. To be a VidQ or an expat in Saigon mostly. Um, I realized that even my friends and um, some fellow VidQs abroad don't actually know how life in Vietnam or in Saigon really is. And sometimes I get weird questions like, oh, but how you live in Saigon? Like, they cannot imagine that there are skyscrapers. You know, and so that made me think, Okay, so how can I kind of bring more knowledge about life here to the world and to people who are interested in it? First of all, my audience is my friends and my family, just to keep them updated what's happening in my life. But then um, more also other VQs that maybe want to experience the same or just people who are curious about how life is here. So I do vlogs um, just about daily life and some random moments of my life. And um, I also had the chance to travel a lot in the last two years. And because of lockdown, I um, travel inside of Vietnam I really wanted to bring the beauty and the different locations of Vietnam to the audience, I would say, because Vietnam has so much to offer. They have, like, we have mountains, we have beach, we have, um, sand dunes, we have whatever you want. We have a lot. So, um, to bring that to the viewer and, uh, one thing that I really want to um, highlight about my channel is that I do interviews. I'm still very new to this, but I'm trying to improve. Um, is that I've met a lot of interesting people when, like, while I'm here, and I feel like I wanted to share their stories. For example, like expats coming here and doing businesses, or Vietnamese people who were able to travel and. Tell me their experience um, because, as you know, as a Vietnamese, it's not it's not really common to be able to travel, let's say, Europe. Um, so, yeah, I talk about culture, culture differences, about travel, food, and fashion. I would say that's like my f- main topics.
0: And which one of your five languages do you use?
1: Actually, it's multilingual. <laughs> So it depends on my interview guests. I did Vietnamese, I did German, I did Swiss German already. So yeah, and um, have you
0: done Scottish yet?
1: I haven't done Scottish yet.
0: <laughs> I tried to make that sound extra Scottish mm. there for you,
1: but uh, always with English subtitles though.
0: So. Cool, cool. And hopefully, I'm going to be uh, you're going to be coming to a comedy show soon.
1: Yes, uh, hopefully uh, after this corona.
0: Well, we're waiting for the... I think we can start shows up this week, so you'll be able to come to our show soon. So you'll be able to check out go to now on me on YouTube, follow and subscribe to our channel. Uh, you'll be able to see those awesome videos on there and hopefully I'll be on there as well soon. Yes. So I'm going to ask my final questions that I ask everyone at the end of each episode. First one is, and we've already talked about traffic extensively and got worked up, my blood pressure started going, so we won't talk about it too much, but there are over 7 million bikes in Saigon, over 45 million bikes in Vietnam. The road rules are crazy or almost non-existent, as we just talked about. Buses can just stop wherever they want. I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to calm down take a breath. What's your favourite unwritten rule of the road?
1: I would say trust no one. That's my number one rule. Trust no one. I, myself, whenever I turn right, turn left, uh, change the lane, whatever, I look three times, four times to be super sure, and then I go. Same. And um, really, like, you cannot predict what... The bike.
0: Expect the unexpected, yeah. right?
1: Expect the unexpected, exactly. And whatever, all the things I've learned for my Swiss driver's license, it's like gone. I cannot use it here in Vietnam because they're different rules.
0: You get worried. I get worried about going back home and driving, and and then driving like a Vietnamese person or like uh, driving like you do in Vietnam.
1: Yes, I ask myself that question too. Like, will I be able to drive?
0: Because you forgot. Again. You've forgotten all these rules of the road that they just don't but I've just remembered the other thing that drove me crazy last week You've never this is the first time I've seen this in five years same thing Saigon Bridge going over the Saigon Bridge and I'm like you said I always check several times I feel like it helps keep me really safe just make sure you look over your shoulder before you do anything so I was just moving over I wasn't even moving lane but I was moving over a little bit so I looked over my shoulder to make sure it was okay and this guy was driving right up behind me with no hands yeah, I'd never seen that before. It wasn't oh. holding the, the, the steering wheel, he was just driving.
1: I've never seen that. No,
0: my first time as well. And I was like, what? And so I moved out of the way. And he even gave me a, an apologetic wave, which I've never had either as well. So he knew he was like in wow. the wrong. But yeah, I've never seen that. Someone driving without holding onto the bike. Like, you know, you see people do it with like a mountain bike, you know, like they can drive without holding. First time I've seen it on a bike. So.
1: There's lots of crazy things that you can see on Vietnamese... Roads. I'm
0: going to start a new podcast, and we're just going to just going to talk about this because we're talking too much. I said we're not going to talk much about it. See how angry I get? I get yeah, to, I get it you? Get you like wound you up? Curious. Yeah, But at the same time, you love it as well because it's so fun and exciting. So anyway, next question: um, What's your most useful Vietnamese phrase?
1: I think it's a very easy one, a very common one. But for me, it would be em ơi, ơi or annoying, like calling someone. I give an example why. Let's say you are in a restaurant and you want to order or you want to ask for the bill. In Switzerland, you would wait for the waiter to have eye contact with you or yeah, and, and give them a sign and they will come over. Whereas in Vietnam, I wouldn't say everywhere in Vietnam, but most of the case, you have to make yourself seen. So...
0: Give me the... I want you to do it as you would do it in a restaurant. Go. Am I? (laughs) That's not bad.
1: Because you know what happened? Uh, One time I wanted to pay for my food and I was sitting in this restaurant and this girl just kept ignoring me and I was waiting for her... Eye contact. I was looking for eye contact. Give me eye contact. But it was never, it never happened. So I was just like, am And then she looked. And then I could finally pay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think you're the third person this season to choose that as your answer to that question. Really? Yeah, Chris said the same thing as well. And I can't remember right now if it's on my head. I think one more person as well. So it's very useful Vietnamese phrase, even for people who speak Vietnamese. Yes. Right. Now, you said you traveled all over Vietnam recently. Where's your favorite sunset spot in Vietnam? In Vietnam Hmm.
1: or in Saigon?
0: This this is now a Vietnam podcast. you You can choose anywhere in Vietnam. Where's your favorite sunset
1: spot? I've seen a lot of sunsets in Vietnam. I would say one of the most beautiful was in Phu Quoc. I don't remember the exact location, but it was at the pier. And you can see the sun uh, set there. Very nice. And in Saigon, I would recommend the chill deck, which is very nice. It's kind of hidden, but you get a very nice view um, over Landmark and Saigon Bridge. And actually, anything on that street, Nguyen Van Hoong, um yeah, it's... It's um, developing so much, that one. So they have lots of bars and you can just sit anywhere, even on a plastic chair and (laughs) have a nice view. Mm,
0: It's the new spot to be. It used to be when I, a couple of years ago, just a dusty road. There was nothing there. And then they opened it up and now, yeah, you can go there. Check out Wham Saigon, which will have a show on Wednesday at Wham Saigon. So make sure you check them out. They've just opened up a new restaurant. The owners of Wham have opened up a new restaurant just next door called Café des Stagiaires. Stagiaires,
1: yes. You're
0: pronouncing it much better than me. Which means the interns cafe because I translated it. Um, so I've been there twice in the last week. That's probably now. Actually, have you been there yet?
1: I've been there, yes. It's, and the rooftop the is
0: rooftop. Yeah, amazing. That's probably that. Actually, is probably the best sunset spot now in yeah. in, in Saigon. Anyway, so make sure you check that out. Um, now, next question: uh, Would you rather live in Vietnam now or twenty years ago?
1: I would definitely say now. I would like to see how it was 20 years ago, but I don't think I could live um, in Vietnam 20 years ago.
0: I think everyone has said the same answer, and I'm the same. I'd love to see what it was like.
1: You know, think about all the opportunities and like with with technology, what we can do now, um, you know, rent apartments over Facebook or or just order food delivery or grab, you know, this 20 years ago. I, I don't know how I would have done it.
0: And final question, what's missing from Vietnam?
1: I thought about this, but I didn't really come to a conclusion because I feel like for me, I can find everything here. Obviously, people are missing, you know, like friends and family. But when it comes to things or products... I don't really miss anything. You can really get everything you need in Vietnam. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Before we finish, please tell the listeners where they can follow your channel, your social media, all of that stuff. Uh, How can they support you?
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel on now or me. You can also follow me on Instagram now or Nhi. Hope to see you around.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast with Nhi Mai. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I want to give a massive thank you to Lewis Wright for helping produce this podcast. Also to Devin Gray for helping support with our brand new website, which you can check out on 7millionbikes.com. And thank you very much to Lane Nguyen as well for all her support. And most of all, thank you to you, the listener. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can tune in for future episodes. And I hope if if you're new to the show, that you can go back and enjoy the previous episodes as well. If you do want to support the show, you can check us out on coffee.com or patreon.com, which is in the show notes. Go in there, have a click. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And I want to thank our existing Patreon supporters, Zion Johnson and Brandon Thompson. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, we can't do it without you, and it's amazing to have you behind us. So thank you so much, and uh, have a great day, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link